Read the bill. Sounds like a good idea. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at quorumreport.com. Jeremy Wallace, his work appears at houstonchronicle.com every single day. You you don't have any days off, do you? No, I'm, I'm trying to do one or two stories a day for the mm-hmm. rest of my life. Yeah, for the, <laughs> for the rest of eternity. No, it's just the rest of the legislative session. Calm down over there. Um, you, you should be a subscriber at both quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com. Where should we start? I think the natural place to go is this unhinged press conference uh, that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, um, uh, he, and by the way, he, he held that press conference all by himself. Usually he has some of the Republican senators there with him. thought that was interesting. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, we are in the national spotlight because of this voting rights fight that's going on in Texas. Uh, and I think you made note of it on Twitter. You've seen uh, Beto O'Rourke all over the place uh, on MSNBC and on some other broadcasts. Julian Castro and he were together on the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC. I guess that was last night. Uh, have you seen them do a joint appearance like that before? Uh, certainly not recently. Yeah, right? I've seen them do it on some uh, like Zoom call type stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't remember seeing them on like uh, a, a TV program like on MSNBC doing it. Yeah, Castro was talking about Senate Bill 7, which is the big voting uh, integrity bill, as Republicans call it. Uh, The Democrats say it's voter suppression. Uh, He was asked by Lawrence O'Donnell if something is different now in Texas, and that's why Republicans are pursuing this policy that has become so controversial, and it's really ramped up over the last couple of weeks. I don't know that much has actually changed. This is the more things change, the more they stay the same. You may remember that for a number of years here, Republicans have been afraid of losing their grip on power. The state's demographics have been changing. In fact, demographers estimated that in 2021, Hispanics would become the plurality in Texas. And over the next few years, this would become uh, firmly uh, even more a majority-minority state. Similar legislation to this failed a couple of years ago. But I think what has these Republicans in a frenzy now is that they see the gains that Democrats have been making uh, in different parts of the state. You take places like Fort Bend County that have become more and more diverse or the corridor between San Antonio and Georgetown uh, that is suburban, but has gone more and more Democratic. So I think what's what's amped up, what has changed, so to speak, is the fear level that they face on top of that. I also think that um, they they know that they can't win elections for much longer in Texas uh, through good old-fashioned, honest campaigning. That might be going a little bit far. I would say that Republicans would certainly like to have elections that are cheaper, uh, especially in some of these legislative races. They wouldn't uh, want to have to spend millions and millions of dollars, Jeremy, to have to defend seats in places like Fort Bend County or Collin County, uh, where for the most part they were successful in the legislative races and in the congressional races. Uh, last year, uh, the uh, partisan makeup of the legislature and our congressional delegation didn't change, right? Yeah. But that wasn't without uh, you know having a big fight on their hands from Democrats. So things are certainly changing. Uh, O'Rourke, for his part, was asked about the comments from Republicans like Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and others who have been telling these companies like American Airlines and Microsoft and others that have come out in opposition to these uh, voting restrictions. Republicans have said that those companies should stay out of politics what does Beto think about that? It'll about snap your neck to try to follow Mitch McConnell and other Republicans uh, telling us that corporations are people and money is cheap. Corporations should spend unlimited amounts of money to, to purchase influence or maybe outright outcomes in our elections. And then to see him say this, uh, which is essentially corporations stay out of our politics. AT&T, headquartered in Texas, Uh, gave more than $574,000 just over the last two years to Greg Abbott, our governor, Dan Patrick, our lieutenant governor, and the authors of these voter suppression bills that Secretary Castro was was just telling us about. So they're already a player in in our politics. And and frankly, they are financing hateful, voter suppressive, uh, anti-Black, anti-Mexican-American legislation like this. 
and they owe their employees, they owe their customers, they owe this state uh, their their uh, ability to step up and stand out and speak to this and, and make sure that they apply the kind of pressure necessary, uh, along with all of us in Texas, to get this state to do the right thing. There's still time for us to act. Even though this bill did pass the Texas Senate in the middle of the night last week, I think it was about 2 a.m. when they finally passed Senate Bill 7, uh, O'Rourke is right. There's a long way to go in the legislative process for this to actually become reality or anything like it to become reality. What we talked about a lot last week on the show, Jeremy, is if you uh, take this idea of reading the bill, and looking what's looking at what's there now um, that Dan Patrick wants everybody to do. He says, you've got to read the bill. And again, I'm, we're going to get to him in just a second. Um, but if you, if you stop for a second and think about the way the legislative process works, whatever's in that bill is not going to be Texas law. Whatever's there right now, that's just not the case, right? The, the, the Texas House hasn't moved on Senate Bill 7 yet. They have their own version of all this. And I'll get to a little bit more of the detail on that in just a second. They have a bill called House Bill 6, which is their voter integrity bill. It doesn't include a lot of the things that are in Senate Bill 7. Um, But this um, push by corporate America to oppose these voting restrictions, I want to pause and just think about it for a second. Why are they doing this? Do they care about the specific details of what's in Senate Bill 7 or House Bill 6, well, sure, they've taken a look at it and they don't like it. Uh, But I think one thing O'Rourke said is correct. The politics of this have shifted, especially after January 6th, earlier this year, when the question was about the fundamentals of democracy. Will the vote of the people be honored, right? And will the people in power honor what voters said? And it was this debate between... Uh, Senator Ted Cruz, who said we needed to slow down and take you know another look at all this, he pointed to polling, and it was a minority of people in the in the polling that he was talking about. He was he said there's so many people who believe that we had a fraudulent fraudulent election, but he couldn't offer any evidence that there was a fraudulent election because there is no evidence of that, right? I think that corporate America on these issues often leads where the politicians go. And we've seen this on a number of issues, right? Where um, these folks who are just trying to sell airline tickets, sell hamburgers, you know, sell a ball game ticket, you know, when it comes to the MLB, they know that their customers don't agree with the idea of making it harder for people to vote, right? If these bills make it harder for people to vote, they're going to be against it because their customers are against it. And guess what? A lot of those customers our voters too. Yeah, exactly. And to take that even a step further, it's like, you know, understand like when, you know, all these years we're talking about how Texas is quickly becoming a majority minority state. That's not just about politics and elections. You just think about in terms of just potential customers for all these businesses, right? You know, so so it makes sense to be paying attention to you know, those potential consumers and making sure you're doing stuff that maybe puts a positive image in those voters' minds. You know, mm-hmm. you think of Coca-Cola and, Dal- and, and Delta in Atlanta doing this stuff. You think about, you know, American Airlines and Southwest. They want the future customers, you know, coming down the line here in Texas that think, hey, yeah, those guys, you know, you know, stood up against this bill. It's like mm-hmm. they don't have to do much more beyond that, but they're trying to create images in people's heads that are positively associated with these, you know, airlines and not some of the typical things, you know, you would expect, you know, corporate CEOs and, you know, or Wall Street executives are making decisions mm-hmm. that don't relate to younger people. Here, they're, they're, all these companies are going to be able to say, hey, we're actually following the dollars here. We know mm-hmm. where the future dollars are coming from. They're coming right. from a majority minority state. And of course, we're going to say, hey, we don't like this bill if they're pissed off. Yeah, right. Um, and I think it's also an interesting exercise in who has better polling. You think that corporations haven't looked at that, done their market research, done focus groups, asked people what they think about this before they come out and, and take a position on issues like this? Um, <laughs> Very <Lieutenant>, good point. <laughs> yes. Lieutenant Governor Patrick says that Democrats and the media and others are a, quote, nest of liars trying to change the subject to voter suppression instead of voter integrity, which is what he calls this. He says it's more about securing the ballot. 
nothing has changed in the election code regarding early voting. Nothing has changed. We have more early voting than New York or New Jersey, which proudly added nine days yesterday. So they're up to nine. Or eight states, including Delaware, the home state of the president, that do not have early voting. So if somehow we're accused of being racist because we want to suppress the vote of people of color, I guess New York and New Jersey and Delaware are even more racist. Have you seen him this Trumpian in a press conference before? He was very rambling. He was very angry. He was just about screaming. I mean, he really was screaming. I'll get to that in a second. He rolled through a lot of numbers, and he talked about how since voter ID was passed years ago in Texas, the turnout in elections has gone up. Now, I don't know about you, Jeremy, but what I remember from the voter ID debate was not Democrats saying that turnout will go down. I don't remember them saying that. What they were saying was folks who may not uh, easily be able to get an ID would be marginalized and not be allowed to vote, and they said that that's not right. Uh, In fact, most of the uh, debate I remember— as that was you know, making its way through the legislature, had to do with an admission from Democrats that for the vast majority of people, this will probably be okay. Most people have an ID and are able to vote with it. What they wanted to see was um, an equitable system in which everybody would be able to have the same documentation, easily be able to exercise their right to vote. It really didn't have much to do with turnout, but here's Patrick focused on that. In 2012, the total number of people who voted, who were registered to vote, was about 58%. In 2020, it was 66.7%. Look up the numbers, media. Do your homework. I haven't seen this story told anywhere. Texas has had one of the biggest increases in voter turnout, voter participation, of any state in the country, all under Republican leadership. I remember one story after another about turnout going up in Texas, uh, and it was in places like the Houston Chronicle, the Dallas Morning News, the Quorum Report. At some point, I started to joke that what we needed was more stories about turnout going up in Texas, right? I mean, I think we've covered it, all right? Do your homework, Dan Patrick. So he was completely unimpressed with folks like Beto, Castro, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner, and others who have slammed voting and voting patterns under Republican leadership. I'm proud of what we have done as Republicans when it comes to voting. We have secured the vote and increased the turnout. All right, you heard that. So if the turnout has gone up and the vote has been secured, then why do we need another change in Texas election laws? Very simple. The bill is needed because Americans no longer trust the system. In a country where voters do not trust the system is a country in peril, particularly when you're a republic, when you're a democracy. This didn't happen in the past. People didn't cry foul about elections in the past, no matter if their candidate won or lost. It didn't happen in 08 with Obama. It didn't happen in 12. It didn't happen before that. But in 2016, It began. The Democrats, including their candidate for the White House, never accepted the vote in 2016. Hillary Clinton said for four years that the election was stolen from her. And she got a lot of people to believe it. And in 2020, there's a large percentage of Americans who do not believe in the outcome of this election. I'm not going into 16 or 20. I'm making the point that people in America have lost faith in their elections. If you bring up 2016 and 2020, you are going into 2016 and 2020. Patrick does this all the time where he says uh, he'll bring up something and then he'll say, but I'm not talking about that. Well, you are talking about that. That's... That's not how words and sentences work. Yeah, it's um, important he, to know yeah. no question had been asked at that yeah, point. Yeah, he's just so talking. It's not like we, we forced him into that discussion about 2016. <laughs> right. yeah, you but didn't... then he's like, I'm not talking about 2016. <laughs> right. And how many times did you hear the bill author, Senator Brian Hughes, uh, the, the guy who's carrying Senate Bill 7, how many times has he said, and he, saw it on, uh, he said it on CNN just the other day, this is not about the 2020 election. They yeah. said he he has made that point over and over and over. He is saying that it's just about securing our elections in Texas, and we don't want to be dragged into this broader national discussion. Patrick and Hughes are maybe not exactly on the same page. Now, Patrick is very upset with American Airlines. 
American Airlines came out in what I thought was one of the stronger statements I've seen from a corporation about a piece of legislation where they said we are, quote, strongly opposed to these changes, right? That That's just not the norm uh, for one of these companies to come out and, and do that. Patrick can't believe that they would do so. And he takes this very personally. This is where he starts to really scream at the cameras. American Airlines had the audacity to call our office and speak to my chief of staff last week and say, we just want you to know that this is not personal against the lieutenant governor or the governor, but we're going to come out and oppose the bill, Senate Bill 7. And my chief of staff said, well, have you read the bill? And the government relations person said, no, no, I haven't read the bill. How about the CEO of American Airlines? Has he read the bill? Nope, he hasn't read the bill. So you're calling us to tell us this isn't personal against the lieutenant governor or the governor or the 18 members who voted for the bill? But you haven't read the bill? Then you're calling us out for suppressing the vote? Well, let me tell you what, Mr. American Airlines, I take it personally. You're questioning my integrity and the integrity of the governor and the integrity of the 18 Republicans voted for this. When you suggest that we're trying to suppress the vote, you are, in essence, between the lines, calling us racist, and that will not stand. The um, CEO of American Airlines had not read the bill when they called Patrick's office, but American Airlines did review the legislation. They did yeah. look at what's been publicly made available about this, and you have made the point in your coverage, Jeremy, that reading the bill or having any idea what they're doing at the legislature for the average Texan, and even for some of these people who are, uh, you know, ha- who have a lot of resources, like the head of American Airlines, it would still be difficult for a person to understand in real time what's happening at the legislature and exactly what language they're voting on, right? Yeah, understand that when, you know, when they voted on this bill, uh, they had put 30, uh, they had debated over 30 amendments. They accepted like 20-something out of them attached to this bill, and then they gave one minute, you know, to shift to the debate on the final passage of the bill. Mm -hmm. So everybody had one minute to review a 38-page bill that had been heavily amended, but here's the trick. It wasn't publicly available for anybody in the public to read. Oh, so, so you couldn't abs- read the bill. There's absolutely oh. nobody outside the Senate who could have possibly have read the bill at all at 1.40 in the morning on right. last Thursday when it came up. So, so Lieutenant Governor is right. They didn't read the bill because nobody <laughs> the, could have possibly could have read, read that bill. bill as of Friday morning because mm-hmm. it wasn't publicly available for anybody to read the full 38-page bill in its amended form. Oh, it, just, I, it was it was Friday night was the first time I got to see the full bill. So Dan Patrick is being misleading. That is so out of character. Um, here's the part where he sounds like he is threatening these businesses. You've meddled in a lot of issues lately. I'm not a big believer in boycotts, but people will make up their own minds. Stay out of things you don't know anything about. And if you want to get involved, then you're taking that risk. You have a right to your opinion, but read the damn bill before you give one. And don't insult us. Well, this is not a, we don't want you to take this personally. You know why they said that? Because they might come down the street next session and have a bill they want us to pass for them. Good luck. That to me sounds like business interests are not going to get a warm welcome at the Texas Capitol. Um, however... He was asked, point blank, if these companies speak out on these issues, would you consider doing things like taking away their tax incentives for moving to Texas? Uh, Would there actually be any consequence? You, you You heard all that bluster and the screaming, and this will not stand. But when he was actually asked if he would take a position against businesses, listen to Dan Patrick back up in a hurry. This is not a quid pro quo. We don't punish people because they disagree with this. What were you going to say, Jeremy? I was going to say, like, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember 2018. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in 2018, I don't know if anybody remembers this, you know, Dan Patrick, who in this press conference says he's not for boycotts, he's not talking about boycotts, whatever. It's like Dan Patrick in 2018, you know, put out uh, a press release that says, boycott Nike. <laughs> and he boycotted <laughs> Nikes. He said he wasn't going to wear them ever again, you know. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, uh, okay, so... Th- Obviously, he he has been for boycotting, right. you know, companies in the past. So it's just yeah. like, uh, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I know. And, and, and I, and I also, uh, would observe that 68 year old, which is what he would be at that time, 68 year old white men are not the target, uh, demographic for Nike. Um, you heard Patrick say, <laughs> you heard him say, uh, that folks need to read SB seven, you know, who hasn't. And this, I think this is where it gets really interesting. Legislatively, the speaker of the Texas house told KXAN television that he had not read SB seven. And it sounds like he has no interest in it either. Um, As I mentioned earlier in the show, the Texas House has its own version of, quote unquote, election integrity. And it has been pared down a lot. When that bill was originally filed, HB6 now, and, and keep up here, listener, this is where it gets difficult. And I should say this, too. Just because the Senate passed SB7, the House doesn't even have to do anything with it. We've seen this happen before. Uh, And especially when Dan Patrick has been lieutenant governor, he has a history of bending the Senate to his will, changing the rules in the Senate. Um, Remember, I'm old enough to remember a few weeks ago when he was trying to pressure the Texas House to do something quickly on repricing the electricity market, which we talked about at length here. And it just didn't happen. The House didn't even look at that. They just said, you know, the, the deadline that Patrick himself had pointed to for that particular Friday that came and went and everybody just sort of shrugged their shoulders and moved on with the other business at the Capitol. Um, Dade Phelan, Speaker of the House, speaking to Wes Rappaport at KXAN. And uh, Wes, who I like Wes, he's a good reporter. He asked, um, he asked Phelan about this tension between corporate America and Republicans in Texas who are now telling some of these companies to stay out of politics. Do you have any worry that, you know, taking these stances against Major League Baseball, uh, you know, some of the airlines, that Texas would then be turning away economic opportunities? No, I don't see it that way. And, and I have the phone numbers of s- several of those individuals, and I haven't had an opportunity to call them today, but I am going to call them today. And I'm going to ask them to pull up House Bill 6 on their computer screen and point to me where in that bill they see voter suppression. I think they are pulling Texas into a national discussion where we don't belong. And I have not read the Senate version uh, of SB7. Right now we're focusing on the House package of House Bill 6. And I'm going to ask them respectfully, because I do do want their presence in the state of Texas. I do want them offering economic opportunity for my constituents and all Texans. But I want them to be very respectful of the process and go through the legislation line by line and show me where there is voter suppression in House Bill 6. It is April 9th, as you're listening to the House of uh, House Speaker say that uh, there needs to be some uh, collaboration with business, that they need to sit down and talk to him about what they don't like about this bill. Some people heard that comment from him, Jeremy, and they, they thought it was sort of like a challenge where he's saying, show me where there's any, sort of Dan Patrick style, show me where there's any voter suppression in this. It almost sounded to me like Phelan was saying, let's have a conversation. If you guys think that there's really some voter suppression in this, then let's take it out of there. Now, I do think that Republicans are under pressure from the base of their party, and we've talked about this, to do something about, quote unquote, election integrity. It goes right to what Ted Cruz had said on the day of the insurrection, that there are polls that you can look at uh, that show that there are a lot of people who think there was some voter fraud, even if there was not. And uh, let's just say there wasn't widespread voter fraud in the United States, full stop, last year. In fact, the opposite, um, all of our intelligence agencies, everything else they say, you know, the people who oversee elections at the federal level, and they, they look at what happens in the states and the counties, they all said we had the most secure election maybe that we've ever had. And that was a big reaction to what had happened in 2016, when we know, based on what intelligence agencies had said, that there was outside meddling from foreign uh, interests which were hostile to us, like Russia. I don't want to go down that whole rabbit hole. Um, But there's a long way to go in this legislative process. And I think when you look at what the House is now considering, they have deleted things like what you talked about so eloquently last week, uh, the idea that partisan poll watchers would be allowed, under Senate Bill 7, would be allowed to film people at polling places is extremely offensive, and and it harkens back to a history of things that were very discriminatory in this state and other states. That's not in the House bill. Now, do you remember the Sanctuary Cities debate in 2017? Here's what I remember about that. One of the big things was that when the bill was passed by the Senate, this was Senate Bill 4 in 2017, 
Huge throwdown. One of the most emotionally uh, draining debates I've ever seen in the Texas legislature. One of those all-night debates in the Texas House. The Senate had sent a piece of legislation that included the quote-unquote show-me-your-papers language, which Hispanic Americans and others found extremely offensive, and they should. Um, In the committee in the House, they took that out. But then when the bill made its way to the full floor, there's the House has a very different amendment process from what happens in the Texas Senate. It's sort of like um, it, it can just be uh, just all out war on the on the House floor on each amendment. And you could have hundreds of amendments offered on a bill like this. I could see Democrats just writing amendments on the fly, you know, on, on, on random pieces of paper and, and taking them up to the speaker, speaker's desk on post-it notes. You know, where like, you know, they're writing amendments as fast as they can to try to change this thing. I can also imagine some Republicans would want to add in things like what you talked about with the filming of voters and all of that. Uh, so we have a long way to go. And, and it's going to be critical that people are engaged in it. And to the point you made earlier about transparency, um, it's even more difficult to be engaged with this during the pandemic. Journalists aren't even allowed on the floor. Let me extend on something you said. Not only could you not read it online because it had not been posted, um, previously when, when reporters were allowed to be on the Senate floor, you could have walked over uh, to the uh, desk where they have the amendments, a printed version, and they would print one out for you and give it to you. So, so it could at least be in the newspaper. Um, so while Dan Patrick is saying, everybody should read the bill, and here you have Phelan saying, well, I haven't read the Senate bill, we're focused on the House bill, there's a long way to go on this. It's going to be done, and a lot of these major pieces of legislation are going to be passed in an environment because of COVID restrictions and everything else is probably less transparent than we have seen at the Texas Capitol in a long time. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Phelan made a good point in there, too. It's like, because of Georgia, it's like a lot of what Georgia was trying to do with their election law is getting kind of mixed into the blender here of what's happening in Texas. And so, yeah. you know, one of the things I've been trying to do is try to go through the Georgia bill and the Texas bills, mm-hmm. at least as we know them so far, and kind of make sure, like, people kind of understand that there's a lot of different things in here. Like, you know, a lot of people, if you were watching CNN or, you know, MSNB or Fox News, you've mm-hmm. heard this part about how the Georgia law was going to, you know, make it illegal to give water to somebody standing in line. Right. That's true in their bill, but it's not anywhere in the Texas bill. You know, that's people think not- it is though. Right. Because all well, people think it is because all this is being conflated. Exactly. Right? And, and a couple of other things that just people should keep in mind, like, you know, and w- when you're hearing stuff about like voting hours and stuff like that, Georgia, it was taking a lot of heat because they were restricting early voting to 7 p.m. And so you couldn't do any voting mm-hmm. after that. The Senate bill right now goes to 9 p.m. So it's like there's certainly a lot more time in there for people. Mm-hmm. You, know, the, you know, the you know, the Georgia law was trying to make people have I.D. in order to get an absentee ballot. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not in the Texas law at all. You know, right. Texas. You know, you even in the Senate bill, you would just you know have to sign and you know say I, I attest that I am a you know, registered voter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there's some key points in that where it kind of getting mixed up. There's similarities though, which I think is throwing people off. So like you know, like drop boxes. You know, there would no longer be any drop boxes for people to drop off. You know, absentee mm-hmm. ballots without a person there. You know, you have to literally hand it to somebody in order for it to be counted. George is doing something very similar, making drop boxes almost impossible to have. And so there's some similarities, but, you know, but, you know, there's going to be a lot to kind of work through to make sure that people don't kind of mix these two bills. And already I'm seeing a lot of mixture of that. I keep mm-hmm. getting, you know, emails and calls from people going, what's the big deal about having an ID? It's like, well, no, no, we're not even talking about voter ID. You know, yeah. in Texas right now, we that ship sailed a long time ago, and we're not we're good on that. Yeah, we're, we're, well, we're, that? <laughs> we're this is primarily about Harris County, right? We've talked about yes. this before. Like mm. almost all these reforms, getting rid of drive-through voting, getting rid of twenty-four hour voting, uh, reducing polling sites that were trying to favor minority communities in this last last election cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to kind of spread those out more, so the their you know black and Hispanic communities are probably going to lose polling sites in Houston for sure. All this was directed at you know Harris County, Houston, and for it, yeah. one really good political reason, Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick have been losing Harris County. You know they went from you know, they both won it in 2014, mm-hmm. and they both lost it pretty badly in 2018. And so you can see that there's nothing politically you know to stop them from really trying to make Harris County you know the enemy of the state at this point <laughs> because 
you know, to them, it's kind of becoming a drain. There aren't any votes for them to win, you know, anymore in Harris County. They're going to lose that county, both of them. It's just a question of how badly. Governor Abbott seemed to be on what I would call sort of a sideshow tour this week. Um, And I say that because it's not that the things he's talking about are not important, but they really don't have much to do with what's happening in Texas government at the moment. I mean, the big, well, the big uh, issues that are in front of the Texas legislature, you think about what they are. um, It's the voting rights fight that we're talking about. It's the um, hardening of the electric grid, which needs to happen uh, at some point. So far, we've seen some movement on that in both the House and Senate. We'll continue to track it. But Governor Abbott's talking about things like immigration. He's talking about vaccine passports, um, it doesn't seem to be the big pressing stuff, uh, at least for state government, which he's supposedly in charge of. Uh, it's He wasn't talking about rent assistance when it was uh, reported just out this week. We got the first copy of it at quorumreport.com. A report from a Texas House committee showed uh, that the problem is still not fixed with rent relief and the, and the billion-dollar fund that the state's just sitting on. And they've only uh, paid out, at this point, just a little over 200 payments, something like that. Yep. When more than 170,000 people have tried to apply for rental assistance, and believe me, it's not just people who live in apartments. There are a lot of landlords who are not happy about the fact that they're not getting paid and the state is sitting on a billion dollars right now. Where's Governor Abbott on any of that? Well, nowhere. What was he doing instead? He was in San Antonio talking about something that sounds important, although I saw some reports out of uh, Bear County yesterday and the day before that made it sound like what Abbott was saying maybe isn't rooted in um, 100% truth and facts, but I'll, I'll let you listen to it. He was at this migrant center, uh, migrant center in San Antonio, and he pointed to accusations of sexual abuse and neglect of children, which if that's true, it needs to be investigated. They need to figure that out, right? Yep. I mean, make no Absolutely. mistake about that. Yep. Nobody's saying that that's not serious, but he's off on this sideshow. Um, and here's, but, but let me, let me play what uh, he said. And then, uh, and then I'll tell you why I think this is a little disingenuous. He's talking about sexual abuse He's talking about neglect. He's talking about um, the fact that he said that uh, COVID-19 patients or, or those who have tested positive for COVID-19, they're not being separated out from others. He says the whole thing is just a hellhole. Listen. In short, this facility is a health and safety nightmare. The Biden administration is now presiding over the abuse of children. To end this abuse the Biden administration must immediately shut down this facility. The children who are in this facility should be moved to other federally run facilities where the federal government has the space, personnel, and resources to ensure their safety. Here's why this sounds bogus to me. I wanted to be fair here, and so I went back and looked through the archive Uh, For all of the statements from Governor Abbott uh, being very upset and telling the Trump administration that it should shut down migrant facilities in South Texas because people were not being treated well or that there were, uh, you know, there were situations unfolding on the border uh, where people were being abused, neglected. And we know in covering this stuff for years, the situation is never good at any of these uh, shelters. I mean, they never have enough resources. There's always a problem at all of these different things. Uh, and it's just, it, to me, it comes across as just cravenly partisan when you have the governor talking about the Biden administration. Now it's the Democrats who are in charge of the response on the border. And if it's not good, it's not good. and It needs to be fixed. Uh, but the selective outrage, in my estimation, is what makes this just a photo op and the governor's not really serious and there's not much he as governor could do about it jeremy yeah and i hate to bring in a whole different sideline here but he you could have replaced everything he said about that center with juvenile justice centers in texas it's like there's all kinds of issues that you know like you said there's there's a this issue doesn't go away you know children you know being housed in you know any sort of complexes you know that mm-hmm. don't have enough space and don't have you know enough people working there to take care of them you know yeah. are always going to be an issue you know it's like right. there's so much we can say on this but the fact that he's just picking this one piece of it mm-hmm. where it's like man it would be great if this state could be so super proactive and just kind of sort out our juvenile justice system yeah. and, you know, our these migrant, you know, 
situations with all these children without right. sending these people back. You know, it's like, that's the thing. A lot of people, like, yeah, close these camps down. At least, you know, mm-hmm. Abbott isn't saying, well, send them back to Guatemala where they yeah. are being abused. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, no, it's like, th- this is a complicated problem. And it's going to right. take a complicated answer. And I know everybody wants a good, simple, one-line, easy solution to these things. But yeah. it's just not there. You know, this is no. going to be a long-term problem. It was a problem under the Trump administration. Yep. It was a problem under, you know, the Biden administration. It was under the Obama administration. So we've seen yeah. this now for how many years before people realize it's not one president that is responsible for this. Right. Uh, it is the last three presidents for sure. It, you can go back to Reagan. You know, it's like it, mm-hmm. this issue just keeps coming up. Uh, and so, I don't know. It just seems like a much more complex problem than we're yeah. hearing in these sound clips. It would certainly have uh, more credibility coming from a governor who didn't preside over a foster care system where children had been sleeping in state office buildings. Um, governor Abbott also opposes vaccine passports. He put out a video on social media talking about uh, vaccines at first, and this is a very positive sort of message to start with. Every day, Texans return to normalcy as more people get the COVID vaccine. In fact, this week, Texas will surpass 13 million doses administered. Those shots help slow the spread of COVID, reduce hospitalizations, and reduce fatalities. But... Anytime someone says, but, <laughs> I have learned that what they really want you to hear is what comes next. Uh, just forget about everything you just heard. Very wise. That, that, was, that, that was just, you know, uh, the setup for what he really wants you to remember, uh, which is this. As I have said all along, these vaccines are always voluntary and never forced. Government should not require any Texan to show proof of vaccination and reveal private health information just to go about their daily lives. That is why I issued an executive order that prohibits government-mandated vaccine passports in Texas. If you were to look at the headlines out of Florida a couple weeks ago, you saw that Ron DeSantis, the governor there, had banned uh, these vaccine passports. All this is is... Uh, you know, certain businesses or others want to be able to see that you actually had the vaccine if they're going to have you in their business, yep. right? Uh, the governor can't tell businesses to not do that. So what he did here in Texas, and I'm not as familiar with what happened exactly in Florida, uh, but the reason I bring it up is because as a journalist, you could just have um, those headlines out of Florida. You could go ahead and draft a headline for Texas where you just put Greg Abbott's name in where DeSantis's name is. And you could do that on a few things recently. Seems like he's following DeSantis quite a bit on some of these uh, political decisions, some of these ex- executive orders. Um, but on the vaccines, Jeremy, all he's saying here in Texas is that um, state agencies can't require anybody to show that they got a vaccine to be able to interact with state government, which I found interesting, particularly the fact that you had to have a negative COVID test to be at Dan Patrick's press conference earlier this week, right? So for once again, for them, it's one set of rules. For everybody else, it's something else. Yeah, I, um, I was literally yeah. asked you know, if I had a vac- vaccination when I was trying to get uh-huh. into the state capitol building yesterday. Right. So uh-huh. There you go. Whatever. George P. Bush. George P. Bush, is this the guy you expected to come out swinging against Ken Paxton within the Republican Party? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Paxton um, has so many legal issues, and we've covered it here uh, on the show and HoustonChronicle.com, QuorumReport.com, uh, that you would think there would be more Republicans who would say, we can't put up with this anymore. Um, but it's Commissioner Bush, George P. Bush, the scion of the Bush family. He was on the Mark Davis show with my friend Mark Davis, 660 AM, The Answer. And Mark asked him a question that was pretty benign, right? He just said, yep. you know, are you running for reelection? Any future plans? And Bush talked about the legislative session that's going on now and kind of being focused on that. But then he volunteered this. There have been some serious allegations levied against the current attorney general. And these are allegations that need to be taken very seriously and that the FBI is, is currently investigating. Um, after this session, you know, there's going to be plenty of time to, to visit with voters, visit with the grassroots, get their thoughts on the idea. But personally, I think that the top law enforcement official in Texas needs to be above reproach needs to be a conservative advocate that pushes back on the Biden administration. And um, I'm seriously considering a run for, for attorney general. So um, wow. more to come on that, more to come well, on that. 
But oh. we'll see how oh. legislative session oh. plays out. You can hear uh, Davis there saying, wow, wow, I can't believe that. And then he asked him if it, maybe if he does make an announcement, would he do it on his show? If you're a radio host, that's what you do. Uh, Bush said that Paxton's office has been a mess and it's not getting any better. I mean, he, he's been in public service now for over 20 years. And um, I'm not sure another four years is, is going to bring Texans anything better. You know, I've, from my perch in, in Austin, I've seen some high-quality attorneys leave that office. Um, I've visited with many conservative attorneys general throughout the country. They're embarrassed by the conduct. Um, and I think Texans deserve better. Um, we need a top cop that the law enforcement of our great state can confide in, can trust in, know that they have their back. Uh, when I visit with sheriffs throughout the state, they tell me the same thing. He also said it's not about whether Paxton is a conservative. He said that's not in question. Well, this campaign is is less about conservative credentials. I mean, we're all conservative. We all supported Donald Trump. There, there's really no separation there. It's about how you run an office. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's troubling is that eight of his top lieutenants who are known and respected conservative members of the Texas Bar who distinguished themselves also outside of the state of Texas, because a lot of conservative AGs look to the AG that in Texas to lead a lot of these pieces of litigation that are important. Um, and so when you see these allegations that they have filed through, whether it's the Texas Whistleblower Act, whether it's the FBI investigation and the allegations there, it, it's more about that that's, that's concerning. And so this is When you talk about the words public trust, when you talk about the vows that we make to our constitution, to our communities, to our churches, to our wives, I mean, these have to matter at some point. Uh, Ideology is important. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And and Ken has been a conservative and there's no doubt about it. But in terms of how you, you personally run an office, I think it matters a lot. I think character matters and I think integrity matters. That's about as worked up as George P. Bush gets about anything. If you're listening to this sort of flat delivery of this intense attack on Ken Paxton, I don't make predictions. You know that I'm pretty almost um, uh, evangelical about the idea that um, journalists should not make predictions. But I don't think I'm violating that by saying he's running. And the reason I say that is because in his own words, he said, this campaign is about, and then he went on to talk about what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he's already making an announcement, basically. I mean, what do you, for, for one thing, um, this is a very good venue for Bush to test out a message like this because you do have a conservative base that likes the kind of things that uh, Paxton's been doing. You know, standing by uh, President Trump through the election, yep. suing on behalf of President Trump, suing the Biden administration over immigration and things like that. Um, if that's all they care about in within the Republican Party, then you know, Bush has a, an uphill climb, right? But if people do care about all these accusations made by conservatives against Paxton, it's not the liberal establishment that's going after Paxton. They've Even within the Paxton camp, they've stopped saying that, right? They, they, they don't really try to argue that a guy like Jeff Mateer, who used to be the first assistant attorney general uh, under Paxton and is a big conservative advocate on a host of things, um, that's no liberal. It's not the liberal deep state going after Ken Paxton. But it also has me thinking about where we are with the next field of candidates across the board in Texas. Yep. Where are we at with that? Maybe Bush against Paxton, and what else? Yeah, and you can feel like so. You know, April hits, and all of a sudden we're talking a lot about you know, what, you know, 2022 starts looking like, right? You know, so now we have, you know, George P, you know, clearly, you know, throwing himself in there. Uh, we we heard on, you know, last Friday, you know, people may have heard, you know, uh, Beto O'Rourke had done a, uh, uh, a TV show up in Dallas in which he said he wasn't planning on running for governor. Uh, but he quickly followed that up with messages to the media, including to me, yeah. in which he said, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm not going to run. This doesn't right. preclude me from jumping in later, which to mm-hmm. me was a sign of, okay, keep an eye on him you know, as he prepares to run for you know, governor. So I, I would, if I were a betting man, I would say that response tells me he does have more interest in it than he was letting on in that interview. We know uh, uh, Mike Collier, a Democrat you know, from the Houston area, actually originally from Georgetown. He went to high school up in Georgetown, but uh, he, uh, you know, he's now running against Dan Patrick for a second time. You know, people mm-hmm. remember him from, you know, you know, four years ago, he did run against you know, Patrick. Then. Oh, right. mm-hmm. It was about a five percentage point race uh, at mm-hmm. that point. So he's hoping to kind of close that gap. And, you know, you know, you know Greg, Governor Greg Abbott could have a primary on his hand 
long before he ever sees a Beto O'Rourke. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Don Huffines, the former state senator and man with tons of money uh, yes. in his back pocket, you know, has made it sound like he could be in this race for governor later on this month. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in here in a week or so, uh, mm-hmm. kind of rolling it out. I you know met up with him in San Antonio a few weeks ago, and he sounded like a man who was itching to take on King Abbott, as he kept calling him. Yes, <laughs> right. And that King Abbott refrain is something we've heard from others like the uh, Texas Republican Party chairman, Alan West, uh, who has, um, you know, national credibility with conservatives, yes. which, you know, adds up to, you know, credibility with conservatives in Texas. Um, same thing for Sid Miller, who's been making noise, not just against Abbott, but also the lieutenant governor. You might even see some crowded primaries. Yeah. Right, which which fun? the quote the quote on yeah the quote unquote establishment Republicans, that's what they really fear is a crowded primary because when you start to split up those votes like that and you have a potentially delayed primary because we may not be uh, as far along in the redistricting process as we need to be by then because things have been delayed and we've talked about that and we'll talk about it more. Um, if you're the establishment, that's and and make no mistake, Dan Patrick now is the establishment. Yeah. Right, and so is. So is Abbott, right? There These you guys go. Always now wanna... you've gone and used the E word. <laughs> yes. And that is the, if you're a Republican office holder, the last thing you want to be called is the establishment. One other thing here, um, someone who was definitely the establishment and is being thought of that, thought of, thought of it that way now, or he's being thought of that way now. Uh, John Boehner, the former House Speaker, was given some shout outs to Senator Ted Cruz in his audiobook. Did you hear this? Yes, shout outs is not quite the word I would use, but yeah. <laughs> uh, shout outs. Now, uh, warning, dear listener, there is some rough language ahead here, but uh, it's the former speaker, so we're not going to edit what he said. Um, he is reading his audiobook, and he's throwing in a few extras. Let me put it that way. <laughs> if, you're, if, if anybody's been to Louisiana, you know what a lanyap is. It's a little extra. That's what that means. Um, here is the audio that was unearthed by uh, Jonathan Swan over at Axios, and he was tweeting this out. Uh, and it's Boehner just reading from the book, and then he, you know, throws a little something extra, a lanyap in there for Ted Cruz. Freedom means you can be a genius and invent new products that make you millions of dollars and helps millions of people. It means you're free to work your way to becoming the first in your family to go to college. It means you're free to reach as high as you want, no matter where you came from, even if you're a little kid sweeping a bar out in southwest Ohio. Take it from me. You'll never know where you'll end up. That's freedom. I'll raise a glass to that any day. P.S. Ted Cruz, go fuck yourself. (laughs) They um, had reported out at Axios that um, he was having some wine. And on the cover of his book, it's called (laughs) On the House, He's holding a glass of wine in all the pictures for the book that I've seen online. Um, uh, someone who used to work for Boehner said, at least at this point, the man is fueled by alcohol. But he's also fueled by the rage that he felt at some of those members years ago who were further right within the Republican Party, like Ted Cruz. And uh, one of the things that Boehner had said, and I don't think that this is out of bounds, uh, you know, people can argue about him saying what he said about Cruz. Um, I find it delightful. But what he was saying in at least one of the uh, parts of the book was that in 2010, when there was all this backlash to Democrats and all this backlash to President Obama and Republicans were winning up and down the ballot everywhere, 2010 was a big Republican year, right? I mean, they were winning everywhere. And the same was true in state legislatures. Uh, in Texas, that's when the Texas House went to 100 Republicans yep. out of 150 members. One of the things Boehner had said was when that's the case – when Republicans were just winning by virtue of being the Republican on the ballot, you got a lot of legislators who were not top quality. If you, know, if you were running as the Republican, you won, and it didn't necessarily mean that you got into office because you were the best and brightest. It was because you were running under the brand name that everybody was buying that yep. year, basically. Uh, and so, you know, people uh, with Boehner have said that he's bitter. You know, he's angry about the way things that play the way things played out, and I'm sure that's true to an extent. But um, there are those who would argue within the Republican Party that he was doing the best he could with an unwieldy majority. A lot of people who just a lot of folks in the Tea Party, and that was when the Tea Party was really coming into its own. Um, 
They didn't want to go along not only with what Democrats are doing in Washington, they were off of the Republican plan as well, right? They didn't want to do what the Speaker wanted to do, and and they weren't on his team. And we saw a lot of that in Texas as well, where you had, uh, at the time, uh, Speaker Joe Strauss, who was always decried as the establishment. You know, the further right uh, people in the party always called him some sort of a rhino, and that's the same kind of thing that was thrown at Boehner all the time. When there is reporting that indicates that Boehner was trying to cut some big deals with President Obama at the time, trying to move the country forward, and Jeremy was not able to do that because of people within his own yep. party who were causing problems um, for for any kind of a governing coalition. He had all these people who were coming into office basically to protest instead of make the kind of decisions you have to make to move a country forward from a policy standpoint. Yeah, and one of the things, you know, like in, in his book, at least the excerpts I've seen so far, you know, he's certainly critical of how Obama kind of managed some of that as well, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. sure. But also, like, you, know, you make a good point, and, like, his animosity to Cruz kind of goes back to, you know, this difference that Boehner has where he, he, he was used to people coming to D.C. to legislate. And then there's, a yeah. you know, what... Cruz represents is a group of people who, yeah, legislating is one thing, but there's also a publicity and, you know, getting yourself out there, you know, component that a lot have taken to. And that's what he was seeing in the Tea Party. When you look at, you know, some of the Tea Party people who are pushing up against, you know, Boehner back then, I'm really interested Mm -hmm. in reading the, you know, the book to kind of see what he has to say about Ron Paul. You know, to see what mm-hmm. he has to say about, you know, some of the Republicans Texas was starting to throw at him when Louis Gomer, oh, yeah. you know, was starting to kind of be part of a voice. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. how is he responding to those kinds of Republicans who are clearly very different from the Mac Thornberries of the world and the Lamar Smiths of the world? You know, definitely different kind of, you know, political animals who were less about legislating and maybe more about trying to get their points across. Mm-hmm. Well... I'm going to read that. Is it uh, is it available now, or do you still have to pre-order the book? Either way, I think I'm going to grab that sucker. Yeah, it <laughs> might be a fun read. <laughs> I'd like to know his side of that that story. Um, I think that's enough show. Yes. This has been this has been a long week, y'all. Um, I appreciate you tuning in. I'm glad that I didn't lose my voice at any point during the show. The allergies in Austin have been unbelievable. Every morning, I've been going out to the porch. And sweeping away those tassels that the oak trees drop over the the, the 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 pollen all over the all over the front porch, and now I wear a mask when I do it, which previously might have looked weird, but now nobody. Yeah, thinks exactly. That's a, that's know, a benefit to COVID right there. If you're wearing a mask, it's <laughs> it's just fine. Uh, now the plugs. If you enjoy the show, you know you do. You should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts however you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, give us the highest rating that you can, and tell five friends about the podcast. If they tell five friends and they tell five friends, it's a pyramid scheme to keep us number one. Jeremy's work is at HoustonChronicle.com, and we'd love to have you as a, as a subscriber at QuorumReport.com as well. Just go to QuorumReport.com, click subscriptions, click subscriptions, and we'll get you signed up. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.